Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Again, thank you so much for being here. This is probably one of the hardest campuses to preach at. Because, you know, when I preach at Kenmore, uh, which to me is home for now, like I've been there for about seven years and, and I know a lot of people there. And, you know, when I speak, they reply back and they, you know, if I would say a joke, they would probably make fun of me. But um, when you guys come here, I, there's a lot of people from different kind of like backgrounds and cultures and, and it's just a campus that's still kind of getting to know one another, right? Like we don't really know each other that much. So it's like, you know, you don't really go and start cracking jokes with people that you don't know because they think you're weird, you know? But with people that you do know, you're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, you automatically have, you have your guards down. You, you're excited to see them. And uh, not that you are not excited to see people here. I'm just saying, but like, but for the most part, we are a campus that we, we're still getting to know each other, right? And, and that's totally fine, okay? But I really appreciate you guys would give me some feedback when I preach, because sometimes it can be really lonely up here. <laughs> but um, as we're going towards Christmas, I was just thinking about the kind of this whole season. And I think it's so easy to get distracted by so many different things. If you watch... TV, or if you watch Netflix, if you watch, if you're on YouTube, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, especially on YouTube, right? Like you start watching one video and you're like, since when do I care about Mars? Like, why am I watching all these random videos? So you went on YouTube to watch some tutorial on how to do something, and then you end up watching a whole bunch of random things. And you're like, I have no idea what this video has to do with anything that I was, I set out to do. And I think a lot of times in life we do the same thing where we end up doing something that you're like, how did I end up here? Like, what? since when do I care about this? And how did I end up with these kind of friends? And how did I end up with this kind of career? Well, you kind of like, because you see, a lot of times if you choose not to choose, by default you choose not to. Like, to not choose, it's still a choice. So, so if you don't set the path forward on exactly what this is gonna be about, you are gonna, you are gonna settle on something. So, so what I'm trying to say is, if you're not intentional about what you celebrate this Christmas, then guess what? You're gonna end up celebrating something that you didn't even care about, like you didn't even know that was important. Um, I heard the story of, of this party, uh, and they were celebrating this kid's birthday, and this kid was sleeping, actually, when people started coming in, he was about five years old, and people came in to celebrate his, his birthday, and this kid was sleeping on the bed right next to the entrance, and um, it was a small house, everyone, and everyone started kind of putting their coat on the bed, and after a while... They, you know, started the party and everything, and then they realized, wait, we're here for the kid. Where's the kid? Turns out they covered the whole kid in, in, in coats, and the kid was sleeping underneath all these coats, but everyone was celebrating his birthday, but he wasn't even present. It's like, I think you kind of missed the point why you came in for. I think you could really miss the point here. And I think when, when we live in, in a culture where once Thanksgiving pass, you are literally grinded to death with jingle bells on every single station and in every single, you know, um, and you're like, you get tired of hearing 
jingle bells. And if you're not one of those people, I'm sorry, you're just weird. Uh, but no, <laughs> you know, there's people they just love everything about Christmas, and they can start playing Christmas jingles in July. But like, but for most people, right? Like, it gets to a point where it's so commercialized, and it's all about shopping, and and it's like, wait, I think you kind of forgot what Christmas is really about. In my family, we grew up, and we never really had a Christmas tree because. We don't believe in worshiping idols. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but it, it was never about that. My parents are not like, oh, this is an idol or anything. I think there's certain people that think that. But my parents always sort of, we never put a Christmas tree. We never gave each other gifts because of two things. One, one, one thing was is that they didn't want anything to distract from, from Jesus' birth. Now, I'm not saying you should do that. I think every single family, you know, if you look at a Christmas tree as just a decoration, that's nobody, I mean, it's not sinful, just to make that very clear. But my parents always have this thing where they're like, hey, we really want to focus. So we will have people around table, uh, around our table at Christmas. We will celebrate Christmas, but it's going to be about Jesus, and we're going to talk about Jesus, and we don't want anything to distract us from that. And for a time, we we kind of like, for birthdays, we would give gifts. My mom would buy me things for my birthday. But for Christmas, we never really gave gifts. And for me, as a kid, I've always kind of grew up jaded, you know. Everyone talked about what they got for Christmas except me. And this is where I got the idea that my parents don't love me. But that wasn't a point. The point is my parents understood that at some point, gift-giving is no longer gift-giving. It's a gift-exchange. And if it's a gift exchange, it's no longer really gift giving. Because if you give a gift expecting something in return, it's a transaction. It's not a gift. A gift is no strings attached saying, regardless how you act or you don't, at the end of the day, I give this because of my love towards you. And it doesn't matter if tomorrow you spit in my face, I will not revoke my gift towards you. So we, we, we never really kind of got into the whole gift exchange. And if you do that at your home, please understand this is not to say that you should stop doing that. All I'm saying is that when you give a gift, make sure that you really mean it. Make sure that you really, it's not just a transaction like, oh man, tomorrow's Christmas. Like I, how many times have I heard this? Tomorrow's Christmas, <gasps> I didn't do any shopping. And you go and you pick random things. Oh, that'll do, that'll do. Okay, that's fine. And have you noticed that when you buy gifts, you don't buy the same gift for everyone? Like, if you got the same gift, your spouse, that you got your coworker, that's a problem. If you gave your spouse a, a leaf blower, that's a problem. Unless, well, unless you're, uh, that's not really, it's, it's about, you know, if you're, if you're the wife and you gave a belief blower to the husband, what you're saying with that gift is better clean up around the house. But if you're a husband, that's even worse, giving a leaf blower to your wife. Like, what? Uh, I would have went with a chainsaw, but, you know, I think this is easier. Like, no, like, that would not be right. And if you got a really expensive diamond ring for your coworker, that would send a really wrong message. Unless your spouse or your future spouse is your coworker, that, that's totally fine. But you, you don't give the same gifts to everyone. Now, if you w went to a party in some white elephant party that you just kind of were asked to bring a gift, because it's about the game. It's not necessarily about, like, you really, you know, 
want to say a message. Because you see, a, a gift is usually a representation of the relationship that you have with that person. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, so you buy for your spouse something that you would not buy, you know, for your, again, for your coworker, unless your coworker is your spouse. So, so, and it's not so much about how much you spend either. What the gift entails is, have they thought about what I really need? Have they thought about me? Because you see, when I go home and my niece comes over and she's like, Slavik, I drew you a card with you in it. I'm like, oh, looking forward to see that card, you know? Because on one hand, I'm excited that she thought about me and, and she drew that out. But I'm like, oh, I didn't know I have legs um, that are stick figures. Like, I mean, like, obviously it's not a good drawing. But your heart is like, oh, like... You did this for me. This is so nice. Right? Because it was the thought behind the gift. That card might cost 50 cents. Right? But I don't care about that. I care about the heart behind it. She wanted to do something special. On the other hand, you can go and spend a million dollars, but if your relationship, you know, if your relationship doesn't communicate that love, no amount of money can ever buy someone's love so so you can go and start buying really expensive things and like if that was the case if if buying expensive things made people love you more what's happening with all the celebrities why why is it that somebody spends a hundred you know fifty million dollars on 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 a relationship and he ends up in divorce because my parents, when they got married, they didn't have a ring. And they stayed together their whole life. And when my dad fell to the point where he could no longer take care of himself, for two years, my mom took care of him. And she was so exhausted because, first of all, he weighed a lot more than her. So he ha- I mean, she had to constantly pull him out of bed and take him to the bathroom and wash him and bring him back. And she'd cry and she, she called me on the phone and she would keep on crying, you know, and I'm like, mom, let's just hire a nurse. I'll pay for that. Like, can we just, and she's like, no, Slavic, I will not have a nurse in my house. And I'm like, why? She says, Slavic, I promised him that I'm going to love him until death do us part. And I intend to carry that commitment. Regardless how hard it, how hard it is, I will love him no matter what. Now, to put this in perspective, my dad was actually starting to lose his mind. So he would say very mean things. So not only you have to care for him, but you have to also, you know, deal with his attitude. Now, I understand we don't fault him for it because he was that stage in his life and he was very sick. And, you know, he had dementia and a whole bunch of other things. It was a very difficult season. My mom never made more than $12 an hour and my dad didn't make more than $13 an hour. But they raised seven kids and they stayed together. So I can point to that and say, you know what? They didn't, my, I don't remember my dad buying expensive gifts. Like he would, the only gift I remember my dad buying was flowers. That's the only thing because we couldn't afford anything else. So it's not so much about, it's not so, so much about how much you spend. It's the thought behind it that you've actually thought about what, what, what does this person need? So in our family, it's always been that. If you see someone that really needs something, then buy that as a gift. My mom was bought a stove and a fridge, and 
she bought it on credit and for about a year she paid it and after a year she still you know you have those credit cards right like you pay them for a year and you st still have the same balance you know and like my mom was paying this whole year and she still had the same balance she's like i'll never pay it off and she was just extremely worried about this and i remember my first paycheck that i made i was like well mom i have money and this is for all of us so i'm just gonna for your birthday i'm just gonna cover this it's been like a decade. I don't remember it. But I remember it because she keeps on reminding me of it. Remember that one time that you cared so much that you were willing to pay for my own debt? Now look, <laughs> you could look, look at that and say, well, you pay for a fridge and some people buy leaf blowers. No, the difference is, is my mom really needed that to be paid off. So I think... The greatest gifts is when the giver makes the greatest sacrifice to fulfill the receiver's greatest need. Okay? I think the best gifts, it's not the ones who are wrapped the best and they're most expensive. It's the, when the giver makes the greatest sacrifice to give a gift that will fulfill the greatest need for the receiver. I hope you're, you're catching this. Is the greatest need getting fulfilled by the, by the greatest sacrifice. Because here's the thing. If you are a billionaire and you buy a $20 gift for your wife, that just says that you're, you're cheap. It's not a good representation of your sacrifice. Love is shown in sacrifice. A lot of people ask me, uh, like, how do you know you love someone? I'm like, bro, wrong person to ask because I'm still not married. But like, when we talk about relationships, when we talk about like, how do you love people, I can probably answer that. You know you really love someone and you're, you, you can, you know, you're safe to get married to them because you really love them when you're willing to sacrifice yourself for them. When you're willing to lay your life down. That's what Jesus says. You know, a, a good friend lays his life down for his friends. So the idea here is you sacrifice the greatest sacrifice that you can to fulfill their greatest need. How do you love someone? How do you know you love someone? When you're willing to sacrifice. I hear this a lot in Russian culture where they're like, the guys especially, if they're, you know, well, you know the wives are supposed to listen to their husbands. You know that's what the Bible says, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's just you skip the other parts where it says that the husband should love the wife like Christ has loved the church. And if Christ has given his life for the church, are you willing to sacrifice yourself for your wife? Because here's the thing, I don't think no wife will ever have a problem to listen to you if she knows that you're willing to lay your life down for her. No wife. Now, some people are like, well, Saga, you're not married, so you're not qualified to speak. Well, was, Paul wasn't either, so, and Jesus wasn't either, and they both gave us some really good marriage advice. Because marriage is about people. How do you know you love somebody in the church? Are you willing to sacrifice for them? How do you know you love your, your friends unconditionally? Are you willing to sacrifice for them? Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort? 
Are you willing to sacrifice your time? Are you willing to sacrifice your resources? Do you love the church? The way you know, are you willing to sacrifice your comfort, your resources, your money, your time for the church? Because it was Jesus who said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the greatest gifts are the ones who you're making the greatest sacrifice because it shows how much you love. Now, if we talk about the golden verse that we don't really say a lot in church, but everyone knows, and you've heard it a million times. Look at this. And John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life god sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him so so what happened here is god wanted to show how much he loves you and me and he said i will give them the best that i have now god has a history of doing this last time i mentioned how god didn't have, it's not like God got together with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and said, okay, well, this is really, this is really lonely up here. Like we should consider maybe, I don't know, creating people. It wasn't like that. The Trinity, when, when they got together and they said, let, let us make men, it wasn't because they were lonely. They had a fellowship amongst themselves. They said, out of this love, out of this fellowship, I will make man in our own image. We will make man in our own image, rather. So, so what happened, what I'm, trying, what I'm trying to drive at is, it's not because God was lonely that he made you. He gave the gift of life, not because you, he really needed you. The, the, matter, the thing that we have to come to grasp with is the fact that God doesn't need us, but he desperately wants us. We don't, we don't want God, but we desperately need him. And that is the difference. I, I heard a quote yesterday saying that, you know, God can do whatever he wants to do because he has a universe. And if you don't agree with that, that's too bad because you don't have a universe. God created us not because he needed us, but because out of his love, he wanted us. Like, I mean, going back to the marriage example, when, when, a couple gets married and and then they have kids. It's not like, oh, well, we need an income, so we're gonna have kids. Unless you work on a farm, I'm still suspicious about, suspicious about that one. If you live on a farm, you have seven kids. Maybe there's some truth to that. Um, but but like for the most part, right? You don't have kids because you really need them to survive. No, the the kids need you to uh, need you for them to survive. But you have them because you want them you love them and you 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 say out of my love i want to have kids well same thing with god like he didn't need us but he decided to have us where to give us life because he loved and so so the first gift was he gave you a breath you know to to breathe and and here's the thing a lot of people wake up in the morning like well i don't uh, you know this is wrong this is wrong but do you know the millions of babies that were aborted this year they didn't get a chance to breathe one breath in. Not because God didn't want them, but because we live in a world that's filled with disease and brokenness and sinfulness. And, and that's why they didn't make it into the world. 
So what I'm saying is, is be thankful for what we have. Some of my friends didn't get to live until 32 because they died at 21 because they overdosed. I am thankful that I got to this point. So every single morning that we wake up, every single time we take a, a deep breath in, at the end of the day, that is a gift of God that's given to us. Every single blessing that we have, it's amazing. It's a gift. Like, you know, when when I see these YouTube videos with these kids, right? Like, and they're opening up presents. And like, obviously, kids are really excited about presents. They still don't understand it. But there's there's the, that one kid out that's very kind of odd in a sense. You know, the, the parent decides to play a joke on the kid and puts a potato as a gift. And they open up and like, it's a potato. It's like, yeah, it's just a potato. Like, no. Like, they're so excited because they got a potato. And you're like, kid, you don't understand. Like, this is not that big of a deal. To them, it is. I saw another video of this little girl. Like, she opens up the present. She's like, so, I am so, this is exactly what I wanted. This is exactly. And then she turns around and she's like, she didn't know what it was, but she was excited about it. Now, I understand that we don't want to be like, you know, we don't want to be gullible about this and say, well, but what I'm trying to say is have that childlike wonder that every single thing that's given to you, it's given because ultimately God decided that, that, that that's, he says all good gift, good gifts come from the Father of lights. This is, there's a passage in here that I really want to read that's really, really good. And James 1.17 says this, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. All good gifts come from the Father of lights. And he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Did you understand what that means? That means that God doesn't just sort of like trick you. He never casts a shifting shadow. He is very deliberate. And his gift giving is what, what this is saying. He's not like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll get him. Like, I don't know, maybe. Like, he's not doing that. He says, I love you. And because of that, I will give you this. And you'll receive this because of my goodness, because of who I am. He never casts a shifting shadow. So whatever he's given us every single day, every single breath, if you have a spouse, you know, that's a gift from God. If you have a job and you have a roof over your head, that's a gift from God. If you got to live five years, that's a gift. Some people didn't get to, to live at all. If you, you know, and I, I'm going to go on the limb here. And I'm going to say, even some of the trials that we go through, they could be blessings in disguise. Because you see, God is not necessarily interested in your comfort. He is interested in changing your character. I, I heard this, this, this guy was saying how he was locked up abroad and, and, um, with a whole bunch of missionaries. So for, you know, days and days and days, they were locked up in this dungeon and it was all pitch dark. They finally were released and they came back home. And everyone's like, well, you're free. This is great. And they're like, well, quite frankly, sometimes I wish I was back there. And I was like, are you crazy? Why? It's because in that dungeon, in that dark dungeon, we've ne I've never experienced such intimacy with God than in that dungeon. 
C.S. Lewis says this powerful quote. It says, God, you know, he whispers in our joys, but he screams in our sorrows. The idea being here is that when you are blessed, you have, you might hear the voice of God, but it's, it's so getting drowned out by all the gifts and everything else that you have. But when you're going through sorrows and through pain, God is near. He says he is near. He's close to the brokenhearted. I remember Moan, you know, um, and when she died of cancer, breast cancer, and like two weeks before she died, I, I just sat with her for like a couple hours. It was just me and her. And like she looked at me and we, we always had a really close relationship. And that two weeks before she died, I, I was talking to her and she looks at me and says, everyone tells me that I'm going to be healed. Everyone tells me that, you know, I'm going to be, you know, good again. But Slavik, I know the truth. I know he's taking me home. And Slavik, I am so ready to see him. And as painful as it is for me to leave my daughters behind and my son, like, I am so ready. He's been so close. And Slavik, I, the whole night I can't sleep, but I feel him close. He's so close to me right now. That's an intimacy that in your joy you can't experience. So even some of the struggle, now I understand there's pain, there's difficulty, and I don't want to downplay that. That's easy for me to say because I'm up here and I'm not dealing with that right now. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that I want you to start shifting a perspective that even, even when we lose, we win. Even when, when we're going through a season of brokenness, God says in all things, God works for good, right? Romans 8, 28, in all things, can you say that to yourself this morning? In all things, God works for your good, for those who are called according to his purpose and who love him. Now, a lot of people say like, yeah, everything happens for a reason. And I usually retort back and say, uh, saying that, yeah, but not everything happens for a good reason. Unless you love the Lord. Because you see, that's not guaranteed for those who don't love the Lord. It's only guaranteed for those who love the Lord. To say to someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus that all things works for your good, well, they don't. Because if, if they don't know Jesus, then their eternity is in question. But if you love him, in all things, God works for good. So even when you think it's a curse, it could still be a blessing. Um, John, John, Johnny um, Erickson Tata. I don't know if I pronounced her her um, name correctly, but she is this um, woman who's paralyzed and uh, because of an accident. And like, you know, a lot of people talked about this and they said, well, you could do so much more as a Christian if you were not paralyzed. It's like, actually, no. This opens up a door for me that I never had before to minister to those people who are paralyzed. There's a woman who was born blind and she was actually the first woman to serve in Congress. And like, you know, she was, well, actually she was born um, with some kind of eye disease. And then when the, this doctor that wasn't really exactly a doctor kind of put some medicine in her eye and actually she was blinded completely. And her whole life she was blinded. But she would write all these hymns and people would look at her and saying, you know, it's a shame that such a good Christian like you can't see a sunset can see the sunrise. He says, oh, you don't understand. I count it as a blessing because don't you realize the first face that I'm going to see is his? 
somehow people that are going through these difficult seasons, they can look at that and say, you know what? I know this is broken. I'm part of because I was I was I was born in brokenness and I was shaped in iniquity. Uh, I understand that I'm dealing with all these things. But I know God is good. And all things he works for my good. So so the greatest gifts are the ones who fulfill the greatest needs. And the giver makes the greatest sacrifice. So, so this Christmas, as we're going towards that, I want you to really put that in perspective and start thinking about, you know, you don't give gifts because, oh, it's just a gift exchange. I encourage you, if you're going to just do it because you feel obligated, just have a conversation with that person and say, can we not do that? I know it's, that might stir up some really hard feelings in your family and so on. And so on. Uh, but if you don't want to talk to them, when you give a gift, can you actually, if, when you give a gift, be it to four of your brothers, can you take a day or two and really think about what they really need? Not just sort of like buy anything that you can find and just kind of give them. Because here's what I'm, what I'm driving at is that the greatest gift that was given to us fulfilled our greatest need. God could have given us, you know, and I think a lot of Christians, they, they think that Christianity is about getting prosperity. I think God blesses people. But we see Apostle Paul, when he became a Christian, he went from being the elite to being a nobody. He went from being from persecuting people to being persecuted himself. He went from being a philosopher to being locked up in a dungeon. And this was some really horrible conditions because some historians say that the dungeon was not very high. So you couldn't actually stand up. Like the ceilings were not very high. So you couldn't really stand up in the cell. A lot of times it would have rats and water and it would be cold. So that it was not a pleasant sight. And, and Apostle Paul writes to the church and says, rejoice. And it's like, Paul, are you, are you crazy? You're 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 in prison right now. You're telling us to rejoice? He says, no, 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 no. You see, don't, don't understand. I count everything as rubbish. I count everything as loss for the chance of knowing Christ. To him, knowing Christ was more important than anything else. So you see, God is not, you know, I want to make that very clear. God blesses people. But God is interested in your character. And he came not for you to have a comfortable life. He came that you might be saved and have life everlasting. And that you would have a relationship with him. Now there's a story in, in the Old Testament. I think it's the first Samuel 5. It talks about how, you know, the Israelites, God would descend among, in the midst of them on this box called Ark of the Covenant. This box was, was made out of uh, wood and was covered in gold. And on this box, there was two cherubims, which two angels, you could say, I, I don't, a specific kind of angel. But And God would descend in his presence over this box. And every single time they go into the battle, the Levites would carry this box where this Ark of the Covenant, signifying that the presence of the Lord is with us. And this box was actually closed behind all these curtains in the temple. And in that place, it was called the Holy of Holies. And nobody was allowed to enter in that place because if they were to enter without actually doing the proper sort of like rituals to kind of signify that they are clean, if they were to enter with sins still on them, God would kill them instantly. Some traditions would say that if a 
a priest would walk into the presence of, of the Lord and the Holy of Holies where, where this Ark of the Covenant was, then they would actually put bells around them uh, on, on their waist so they would know if, if the bells don't ring anymore, that means the guy is dead, so we have to pull him out. So they would tie a rope to his leg. And then, you know, as long as they could hear the bells, that means that the priest is still alive. He's still ministering to the Lord. But the moment, you know, they would not hear the bells, they would have to pull the rope because the guy was probably dead. So with that, God was saying that you cannot stand in my presence because you as a human being, you are corrupt. And there, there cannot be a relationship with, with me and you. We cannot be in the same place because I would kill you. Not because I don't like you, but because I cannot have my holiness being tainted. So they would take this box and it was very specific on how, and there's actually a story how when the ark, ark was actually captured, they just kind of put it on this, on this cart and this guy tried to kind of like steady it and put his hand on it and the guy was lit on fire really quickly and he died. And you're like, well, that seems kind of, that seems really, really kind of uh, very um, vicious of God. Yeah, God is very jealous about his holiness. He's very jealous because if, if God is compromised, he's no longer God. He's a righteous judge. So how do you, how do you kind of reconcile God and human beings? So God would exist in their midst on top or would descend on this box. And this box was, was very important to Israelites. It just so happens that the Philistines, they, they captured they captured this Ark of the Covenant. They brought it in. They're like, well, this is the God of Israel. We'll put him with our God. His name was Dagon. Dagon is standing as a statue up there. They open the door. They put the Ark of the Covenant. They close it in. And the next day they come in, Dagon is on his face. They're like, okay, this is weird. They put, they prop Dagon up, up again, right? And then they walk out, they come back, and the next day they come in, and Dagon is on his face again, but this time he's smashed. What God is saying here is, you cannot put me on the same rank, in the same room with your other idols. So, so what he's saying to us is a lot of times, what I started from the beginning, I told you that sometimes we get kind of like off track and we start thinking about Christmas a sort of like, you know, we start thinking of Christmas as, okay, well, it's about gifts, about this. But God's saying, don't put me on the same level as gift giving unless you are thinking about the greatest gift, which is what I've done on the cross for you. So, so I want to make it very clear that God is extremely jealous about his presence. He is extremely jealous about your love and your affection. And where is your affection? So this Christmas season, as we go into this, let's remember the greatest gift that was given to us. Now, I'm going to tell you a story and then we're going to close. And today we also have communion and I want to just kind of prepare you for that. And uh, I talked about his holiness and his presence. You see what happened on the cross when Jesus came and he was crucified. We have this weird kind of mention where he says that the the, that the curtain in the Holy of Holies was split in half. 
So what God was saying, now through Jesus Christ, you were given the ultimate gift, not only salvation from your own sins, but you have right now, you have the access that you can come into my presence. Not because now you're worthy and you weren't before, but because through Jesus' blood, now you can have fellowship with me. Now you can come into my presence. You can come into the throne room of God. You can step in here and you will not be judged. You will not be destroyed. You will not be killed. Now you cannot come into his presence and, and still think that, you know, about the, the way you thought in the world. You, you have to change your perspective and understand that the only reason we're allowed into the presence of God is because of what happened 2,000 some years ago when Jesus came on earth and then he died for our sins. That's why that's important. So when we look towards Christmas, we look at this one baby, Jesus, who changed the world. Now, what that's going to do for you is, is first of all, it's going to bring salvation. The second thing is, you will be able to step into his presence. And the third thing is, you will change the way you approach other people. You will humble you. You will change it from inside out. He will heal you and he will transform you. Because here's the thing. If Jesus, who is God, squeezed his glory, everything, into a helpless baby... Can you not serve your brother and your sister? Can you not sacrifice yourself for your family's greatest need? Can you not, can you not humble yourself? I mean, this is crazy to think about. Imagine if the CEO, let's take Bill Gates. What if somebody came up to Bill Gates and said, you know, we have a great idea for you. We think you should go and serve lunch to inmates in prison. Like, imagine if a CEO did that. But we're talking about something bigger than that. We're talking about God himself, in all power, in all wisdom, in all glory, decided to step into this mess because he loved you and me. And he said, the greatest need they have is salvation. The greatest need that they have is hope. The greatest need they have is me. And if you think that maybe God is a little bit self, you know, self-serving here because, well, he just kind of like, he wants us to worship him. What's up with that? Like, what's up with him constantly wanting us to worship him? You know why? Because he understands that happiness a part of himself, there is no such a thing. There is no joy a part of God. There is no life apart from him. It's like you being in the desert and there's, there's a streams of water right here and you decide to walk away from it. Well, if you, if there's no other water, don't blame God. Don't, you just walked away from the only life giving source of water that you had. So, so God is the only source of life that we have. And the thing is, is that right now you have a chance to say, Lord, I, I declare your lordship over my life. And He invites you in. He invites you into His presence. He invites you to sit at the table. And this is a story that I promise you I'm going to tell you. In the Old Testament, there's a story by, by um, David is, is basically in his power and in his kingdom. And now he's kind of sitting on his throne and he's like, I wonder all the people that have done good things for me. Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was, was actually, <laughs> Jonathan was um, kind of like his best friend, but also 
in a sense, an enemy because Saul was his dad, where Jonathan was Saul's uh, son. And it just so happens that Saul wanted to kill David, his whole, like, his whole later part of his life. But David had a really close bond with Jonathan. And Jonathan and Saul both get, get killed in the battle. And now David is king, and now he's in power. And David thinks about, okay, well, like, what should I do right now, like, for people that have been good to me? So he asks his, kind of like his servant, is there anybody else left of the house of Jonathan? I want to show them my favor. And the guy's like, yeah, actually there is one. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, but he says, David, just something to keep in mind. Mephibosheth is lame. You don't want him in the palace. You don't want to associate yourself with Mephibosheth. And David says, no, you know, I want you to call him in. Now Mephibosheth is thinking like, if the king summons me and that, that obviously means one thing, he wants to kill me because I'm part of Saul's family. And that's what would happen a lot of the times when a new you know, king would take over, what he would do is he would destroy the family of the previous king because he wanted to kind of like make sure that there's no, there's no, nobody that can take over his throne. So Mephibosheth has brought him to David and Mephibosheth says, why do you want to, why do you need me? It's like, he's like, I'm your servant. By, and David looks at him and says, from now on, I want you to sit at my table. I want you to eat with me. And I'll give you the inheritance that belongs to your dad, Jonathan. And Mephibosheth says, but why? I'm, I'm a dead dog. He says, why do you want to show a favor to a dead dog like me? David's like, well, because of my friendship with Jonathan. See, one or not, me and you are Mephibosheth. We were lame, not in the sense of the word we use today. Meaning we are not able to bring ourselves into God's presence. But God sent for us. And this morning he's sending for you. He sent for us and he brought us to his table. It would be extremely wrong for us to say that, sit at the table of the Lord and say, well, what is Paul doing here? Like, he doesn't belong here. Really? None of us belong here. You were brought in because of his mercy and his grace. And there's a, another part of the story that a lot of people don't, don't read, but it just so happens that actually now David is getting persecuted by his own son, Absalom, and he leaves Jerusalem. He escapes and Mephibosheth stays behind. And when David finally comes back and he kind of like gets his power and control, he, he summons Mephibosheth and says, why didn't you run with me? Why didn't you come with me? I thought I brought you to the table. And Mephibosheth says, um, David, if you haven't noticed, I'm lame. And your, your servant, Ziba, kind of, you know, he was supposed to take me, but he didn't. He kind of ran away by himself. So now it's his word against Ziba's. Okay, so who does David believe? And David says, you know what? I'm going to divide your inheritance that I promised you to Ziba and, and for you. You know what Mephibosheth says? David, I mean, thank you, but I don't need that. I'm just glad you're back. So I know it's kind of a long story, but I want to say this is you were brought into God's table and God hopes that when he says, okay, well, 
Did you want prosperity? Did you want to get healed? He hopes that your answer will be, Lord, I, I'm really thankful for, for you, and I think, I'm thankful for your blessing. But I'm really excited about is that you're back. That once again we have a relationship. So this morning, does the thought of being God's presence excite you more than what you need to get from him? goes back to gift giving. Gift giving kind of goes both ways, doesn't it? God gave us the ultimate gift, salvation. But what we do with our lives is a gift back to God. Now we can go and start the prosperity gospel and we can go into all these things and say, the Lord wants to, we we can start treating God as a vending machine. You You put your prayer in, you get your need out. But true love doesn't stand for that. True love is gives, is sacrifices. And the Lord hopes that as you understand His love towards you, you'll start to reciprocate that back. And you'll start to show that love towards Him. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.